Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Less than a week out from the big game, the biggest sporting spectacle of the year. Everyone loves making those picks, no matter if you're a diehard fan or just tuning in. So we think you'll love this opportunity. It's the CBS Sports Football Props Game for your chance to compete for the $1 million jackpot. That's right, $1 million if you correctly answer all of the trivia questions and a guaranteed $50,000 to the winner. And you can win all of that money without risking anything. Football props is free to play. Just visit cbssports.com backslash props or download the CBS Sports app to enter. The link is also in this episode's description. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, January 31st, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black mat. Norlanda is here with me, and I suppose it was a weekend highlighted by upsets, considering five top 20 teams lost as favorites to lower-ranked teams or unranked teams on Saturday. Let me run you through it real quickly. Number eight, Virginia, was upset by number 20, Virginia Tech, 65-51. Number 8, Alabama, was upset by number 24, Oklahoma, 66-61. Number 11, West Virginia, was upset by unranked Florida, 85-80. Number 14, Wisconsin, upset by unranked Penn State, 81-71. And number 16, Florida State, was upset by unranked Georgia Tech, 76 65 of those results i won't ask you which one surprised you because by definition they should have been at least somewhat surprising which one was the most surprising like if we'd have been talking about this on friday and i told you hey these are the five upsets of top 20 teams that are going to happen which one would you have said that i don't see that one at all hmm uh wisconsin penn state but that was on. The, that was also a road game for Wisconsin, though Wisconsin had not lost to Penn State in almost ten full years. Georgia Tech got its win on its home floor. Florida, I wasn't surprised by. I picked them against the spread. Uh, that was a big time outing. Bama, Oklahoma, wasn't surprised at all. I took the Sooners. You took Bama. How'd that work out for you? And then I. Okay, so I, th- I think if you take into account how the games were played, Virginia, Virginia Tech's the most surprising to me, even though that was a road loss for Virginia. But Virginia surrendered, like a, it was outscored 20, by 22 points in the second half, and it, and it gave up a 19 nothing run. These are unusual numbers, to say the least, under Tony Bennett. So the style in which Virginia Tech came back, won the game, that was the most surprising because Virginia Tech had like a double-digit lead. But on its face, heading in, uh, the one that I would have thought was least like, if you told me that you know one of these five, let alone all five of them, GP, if one of these five is going to be an upset, which one do you think is least likely? I would have actually picked Wisconsin against Penn State. Probably just because Penn State, you know, doesn't have a good record, but Penn State's not bad. Like they're top forty at Ken Palm, despite a six and seven record. Like the Nittany Lions, they've also beaten Virginia Tech. They've also beaten Rutgers. They've also beaten VCU. So I think on a very surface level, preseason top ten Wisconsin losing to Penn State, which you know again has a losing record, 
it looks like the most surprising. But the Badgers have now lost four times as a favorite. They're three and three in their past six games, five and four in their past nine. They have three losses to unranked teams. Like they're good. I still have them in the top twenty-five and one, but they have they've shown themselves to be susceptible. And I, I was wondering about this as I was watching. Are they you at this point? I mean, you know, it's still j- technically January, but soon it'll be February, and then you know the next month is March. Is have we reached the point where we can reasonably say? Wisconsin is just a classic example of a good team that returned everybody and then just stayed good. Like we assume that good teams that returned basically all the important pieces, we go, okay, they're going to take a step and they're going to be great. And sometimes they just, you know, they were good and they're just good. Like they're better than they were last year, but I don't think anybody would call them great right now. What team, what other team have we talked about in these terms in the past couple of weeks, GP? All right. Iowa? Iowa? <laughs> no, Illinois. 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 Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So we'll get to them in a few, but um, you could be right. I'm I, uh, I'm, I'm done with Wisconsin at the moment, by the way. Uh, just Ooh. uninspired. <laughs> Listen, uninspired play here uh, against Penn State. Uh, you know, dropped a home game against Ohio State last week and did get a win on the road against Maryland, squeezed in between there. I'm done, relatively speaking. I... I a month ago, uh, you know, I, I showed my by saying that I thought Wisconsin was going to be able to be the most reliable team in the Big Ten. Well, that's not true. Not true at all. So um, that's out the window. Um, like they're one of the most unreliable teams in the Big Ten, given that they've lost four times as a favorite. Like it's one thing, like if you're an underdog all the time, like you're you and you lose all the time, you're pretty reliable. Wisconsin, we, we can't rely on them. We can't, uh, and that's which is not to say that it, it, the Badgers and Greg Gard can't get some quality wins going forward. Of course, of course they can. Weirdly enough, the schedule has them playing back-to-back games against Penn State. So, frankly, I expect Wisconsin to return back to Madison, and so long as the as the weather allows for that game to get played, is scheduled amongst other things uh, to win by double digits. I think that'll be a strong rebound there. But um, they can win some good, good games going forward. I just. You know, three weeks ago, I would have thought Wisconsin was uh, among the safer teams I would project into the Sweet 16. Now I just, I sense I might have a little more hesitation, and a lot of good teams remain on the schedule. Um, it can, you know, Wisconsin can really prove us wrong, really go south, or just kind of ping pong back and forth with, with wins and losses. But it's still got two games against Iowa, two games against Illinois still remaining. It's got to play at Purdue. It's got a game against Pinnacle Bank remaining, which is a good thing there. But yeah, I mean, Wisconsin will be what it is, I guess, going forward. Not the best team in the Big Ten, sh- safely in the tournament. Um, but I just have more questions now than I did before. So, on a again, surface level, Wisconsin losing to Penn State, probably the most surprising of those upsets that uh, we've noted. But you're exactly right. If you were watching games, like watching the games unfold, what Virginia Tech did to Virginia was out of nowhere. Like, Virginia was in complete control of that game. They're up 39-29 with 15.05 left at Virginia's pace. And with Virginia's defense, like 39-29, you're, you're up against it. And then Virginia Tech goes on a 34-8 to run to make it 63-47 with 2.52 left. And Virginia Tech outscores Virginia 36-12. Over the final 15-04, Kevin Aluma, teams 10 of 15 from the field, 29 points. He's now averaging a team-high 14.8 points and a team-high 7.6 rebounds in his first year, or at least first season, 
eligible at Virginia Tech. He had to sit out last season per normal NCAA transfer rules. But two seasons ago at Wofford, he was 6.9 points, 6.8 rebounds. And now he transfers up to the ACC, and he is clearly the best player on a team that looks like an NCAA a tournament team. He's just been terrific. And for, for Virginia Tech to, you know, overcome a double-digit deficit to a team that was ranked in the top 10 in the second half, particularly when that team is is specifically Virginia, that was a game that flipped in ways that games normally just don't flip on Virginia or anybody else. Yeah, for sure. And because of that, you know, going back to the the ranked teams that lost to unranked teams. So earlier in the afternoon, Florida State dropped its first game in a month by losing at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech gets a gets really a, a needed win to kind of sustain its its case to get into the tournament down the road. And that was a good win for Georgia Tech and uh and what it did was that at the moment Virginia Tech, I mean Virginia had a two game lead on FSU, but because of the loss, now the ACC race is still it's still up for grabs. I mean, Virginia is now seven and one in the league, and then Virginia Tech and FSU each have two losses apiece. And so, yeah, who's who's to say? I mean, Virginia Tech's next two games are at Pitt, at Miami. By the way, Pitt took in just a terrible loss at home against Notre Dame, and is really just stabbing itself in the foot. I did want to talk real quick about the Florida win at West Virginia. In my takeaways piece, I I from Sunday, I think that's the biggest win of the weekend probably Oklahoma got the win over Alabama which is probably the most notable because it was the third straight win over a ranked team credit to ESPN's research for this apparently this is out this is mind-boggling but apparently true ESPN's research said that it was the first time since 1974 a team beat four ranked opponents in the same month in the regular season Oklahoma's done it. it's beaten four ranked opponents in the month of January so congrats I got more on them in the takeaways but I thought but we knew Oklahoma was going to be good getting to the tournament have a healthy seed if anything it's improving its status there in the Big 12 all credit to Long Kruger uh, that group has uh, has a better three game win streak than anyone I think at any point so far this season considering the opponents just beat but for Florida it's the bigger win Florida over West Virginia on the road getting a four straight win doing so in a way where, listen, frankly, the Gators have had instances this season and last season where it didn't have enough uh, consistency, effort, toughness, you name it, uh, the stuff that coaches will sometimes ramble on about in, in cliches that sometimes can be based in very real things. The Gators were extremely tough, got hit in the mouth five times and punched right back at WVU to get that win on the road, improved to 10-4, and four. it made me believe now that, that Florida's going to the NCAA tournament. It's got a good win at home over LSU. It's got a good win at home over Tennessee, but this win at West Virginia I thought was big. I still think Florida will be inconsistent going forward. If it was Wisconsin-esque Paris, that wouldn't surprise me, but this one proved a lot. Colin Castleton has been uh, really something of a revelation and stepped up in a big way. He had 21, 7, and 4 blocks, I believe it was, 5 blocks. So, um, to me, while you know, maybe Oklahoma was the most notable, to me the biggest one was, was Florida considering it got the win at WVU. For people who might be unfamiliar, Colin Castleton is a 6'11 junior who plays at Florida. He's from Florida, but at a high school, he went to Michigan, even though he was recruited by Florida coming out of high school. He went to Michigan and he averaged 3.4 minutes as a freshman and 7.9 minutes as a sophomore and decides to transfer back to Florida. 
And now he's averaging 13.4 points, 5.5 rebounds in 23.6 minutes per game. Among active players on Florida's roster, he is second in points per game and first in rebounds per game. So uh, you put it accurately. Like He has been a quite a revelation. When we were talking about Florida in the offseason, I'm not sure Colin Castleton's name ever came up, but he's a, a, a serious player for a Florida team that's now 5-4 and four in the first two quadrants with zero losses outside of the first two quadrants. Now, it's worth noting, one of the losses is a home loss to Kentucky, and Kentucky, as of Sunday, is 75th in the net. That's Mm. the cutoff. And so um, right now that is a quad two loss. But if Kentucky drops outside of the top 75, it becomes a a quad three loss. But at this moment, what I'm saying is is true. Uh, Florida is now five and four in the first two quadrants with zero losses outside of the the first two quadrants. Not only does that look like a team that's going to the NCAA tournament, it is a team that I have ranked uh, now in the top 25 and one. And just to circle back to Oklahoma, Alabama, you noted that on Friday's pod, you picked Oklahoma and I picked Alabama. I I think I said the line was too little. It was Alabama minus one at that point, line too little. And then on Saturday, we learn maybe 30, 45 minutes before tip that Oklahoma is going to be down two starters, including Austin Reeves, its leading scorer. So sometimes I'll do this. I got a group of buddies that uh, we golf together, we gamble together. And sometimes I'll, uh, I'll hit them like when something that the line hasn't adjusted yet, but you know that it will soon. And I'll hit them in the group text. I'm like, hey, listen, Oklahoma's down two starters. It was just announced. If you want to jump on it before the line moves, like go jump on it now. So one of my buddies was like, I, I think he was at like, chipping or something you know and he just missed the text but he came back like 15 minutes later he was like i got it at minus three is that still okay and i said i'd take it at minus eight you know i i, I think alabama's <laughs> I, I said i think they're good i said alabama like my it's alabama on a 10 game winning streak with this explosive offense this this great defense and now oklahoma's down two starters including his leading score like max bat it jump on it and you know how that goes. You, you. <laughs> Did you watch it? It was hard to watch the end. Alabama closed the game missing eight straight shots. I mean, layups, wide open three-pointers. The group chat was at a hand. Zero <laughs> field goals for Alabama in the final 423. I never I – my friends had never been so mad at, a, at, at an Alabama basketball team. They were like, do these dudes make one shot? They're still in the game. The team, they should have been mad at you. (laughs) I I debated. I I debated when this came down, going to our editor and being, because we had our weekend picks thing, SEC Big 12, and I debated going, I should just change, because I had Oklahoma straight up and against the spread, and I debated, I was like, should I switch this? I was like, you know what? No, if anything, like they're deaf. I was like, I'm not going to change it, but but I'm not going to change anything if I could change – the spread, maybe I should, but nah, forget forget all that stuff. They uh, they hung tight, man. It was, it no, was at, at that point you don't change it because if Alabama wins, you say, hey, when I made the pick, they had exactly. they, they had they had Austin Reeves, and if Oklahoma and if Alabama loses, you're like, look at me, I look like a genius, and so you you yeah you you played it right to to leave it that way, but again, zero field goals over the final four twenty three, they miss eight straight shots to close the game. And Nate Oates afterward, I thought this was interesting, actually like 
seemed unsurprised, not that his team lost or, but like at, at these types of situations going this way, he said, sometimes he said it's worked for us and it's worked against us. He said, but sometimes you have a basketball team and they're already, I'm paraphrasing here, but this is the gist of what he said. He said, you have a basketball team and you know, your basketball team's already supposed to be better than the other team's basketball uh, other than the other school's basketball team. Now, he didn't say that. Again, I'm paraphrasing, but this is the point he made. We're favored in the game. We're supposed to win the game. And then we find out they're missing two starters and in, 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 in their leading score is part of that. It, it can galvanize that team, the team that suddenly is shorthanded, like, okay, let's go. And the other team can maybe take it not so seriously. And then you're down 11-2 to start the game and you're fighting the entire time in ways that you didn't anticipate having to fight. And he seemed to think that, obviously, maybe Oklahoma wins the game no matter what, but he seemed to think that Oklahoma responded brilliantly and positively to finding out two starters were down. in Alabama, when asked to react to that same development didn't didn't respond nearly as well all right those were the five big uh games that ended with unranked teams beating uh either uh, ranked opponents or uh higher ranked opponents there was some other stuff around the weekend too gp let's uh let's take a tour shall we yeah so among the other notable results from the weekend gonzaga baylor and drake all stayed undefeated illinois Beat Iowa, Texas Tech had a crazy comeback at LSU. Providence took an awful loss that bubble teams just cannot take. We're going to touch on some of that next, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So not every game played this weekend was a ranked team being upset, obviously. Some other notable results, Gonzaga, Baylor, Drake, all stayed undefeated. Illinois beat Iowa. Providence took an awful loss to Georgetown. Tennessee pounded Kansas. Missouri edged TCU and OT. Purdue started slow against Minnesota, then won by 19. Ohio State gave Michigan State another loss. Norlander, I'm going to let you touch on any of that in a moment, but let me walk folks through Texas Tech LSU because, <laughs> boy, yes. it was something. Okay. Wild final 60 seconds. So LSU is leading Texas Tech 71-64 with 61 seconds left. Game seems over. But then Mac McClung 
makes a three, makes it 71-67, 60 seconds left. LSU goes to the other end, misses free throws. Texas Tech comes back to the other end. Missed shot, but McClung gets the offensive rebound, dribbles out to the line, makes another three. Now it's 71-70 with 32 seconds left. Inbounds, McClung taps it away. Terrence Shannon gets it, lays it in, gives Texas Tech a 72-71 lead with 29 seconds left. In other words, they turned a seven-point deficit into a one-point lead in a span of 31 seconds. Texas Tech pulled away from there. In the final minute, Terrence Shannon had six points. Matt McClung had six points. LSU had zero. It was a 12-0 run to close the game in the final minute. Quad one win recorded for Texas Tech. That's probably... As far as wild ones go, there wasn't anything wilder than that, was there? Uh, no. From the weekend, I mean, it got uh, – listen, Missouri-TCU got weird. Uh, Missouri could have easily lost that and dodged a bad one, no doubt about it. Um, but, no, I, I like Texas uh, – you know, I spoke with uh, – for the takeaways piece, I spoke with uh, Oklahoma assistant Carlin Hartman, and he had not seen the game. Obviously, Tech is in their league, and they got to play Tech on Monday night. Oklahoma, Texas Tech. There's a couple good games Monday, that being one of them. And so he was just asking kind of how it played out. He saw that Texas Tech won, and I was like, man, like they play that game 10 more times, and they kind of pick it up with a minute and a half to go. I'm telling you, LSU wins nine out of 10 times. Like it was, it was Texas Tech stole it. McClung was awesome. He was a couple big threes that, that, poke away steal in, into Shannon's arms was big time and it was frankly it was it was a great win uh kind of, the kind of win that I think sometimes coaches will be exceedingly thankful for because a lot of the little stuff you work on in practice and kind of sweat over in the big clutch moments it comes through McClung again I mean we're at the point now where you know McClung I don't know if he's going to get there for sure but yeah he's like in he's in the conversation for second third team all-american not yet first team he could get there I mean he's 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 averaging about 17 and change at this point under three assists under three boards but he is just it's not always if you, going if in. you're the leading scorer for a top 10 team you're in the conversation without a doubt and he's there and he's been magnificent we talked about him I think it was a week ago we talked about him so yeah that was a wild ending and LSU gave it away that was that was just gross and also Cam Thomas had a couple of shots again into the good game, and uh, you know he's been a terrific freshman. He had a couple of threes that just didn't fall. Like one of them falls in the final uh, couple of possessions there for LSU. Maybe we're talking about something different, but that was, yeah, that was uh, that was highly entertaining to watch those two go back and forth. Um, on that Friday night, we got a, a big time game, Iowa Illinois, and no, nothing really surprising about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Luca Garza was in foul trouble. Iowa couldn't get enough stops. Illinois wins at home as expected. I wish, I don't know about every league, but it's nice to, on a Friday night, have a relevant college basketball game on television. I, I wish more leagues, other than just the Big Ten, like anybody with a network, you know, SEC, ACC, like, Pac-12 doesn't matter. Can't, can't watch it anyway, so I don't care what they do. <laughs> they, can play, doesn't, they can play their games at any time. It has no meaning in my life. But the other ones like where you can actually get their network on DirecTV, I would love to have a 6 o'clock you know, Big Ten game followed by a 8 o'clock SEC game of relevance every Friday night. I wish we had more of that. It would be nice. Oh, so I'm of two minds of it. Uh, one, it's it. You know, in normal seasons, it is nice just to have Friday be the only night of the week during the season where we don't have to worry about games. That is a nice. That's, that's thing. fair too, right? It is nice. But but that being said, 
Um, <laughs> while my wife was not overly thrilled, uh, and we did get, we did get uh, a little bit of time into squeezing an episode of Billions in before Iowa and Illinois got going on. Um, it, having like one standalone, like this is a really intriguing top 25 level kind of game. That was great. I did enjoy that. All the attention right there on that game. Big win for Illinois, Iowa. It's, it's starting to be intriguing. We can save really the bulk of this conversation for maybe two, three, four episodes down the road. If it applies, then it's 12 and four and it is what three and three in quad one and six and four against quad one and quad two teams. So its resume is actually it's up for some investigation if it uh, if it fails again, say against Ohio State if that game is played against played as scheduled on Thursday. Uh, they're hosting the Buckeyes there, so just tuck that in your cap and we'll uh, we'll circle back to it. But that was a good game to watch on on Friday, and uh, and I was certainly appreciative of having it. Let me um. Let me tour. Let me do a whip around here, if we could, uh, from what from what you mentioned, the games you mentioned, then a couple more. Uh, Tennessee got right in a great way. Um, I thought about GP as I was watching it because, frankly, I thought this is exactly the kind of Tennessee team that Paris thought this group would be. And good golly, Kansas! Uh, it lost by 19, but it was like a 28 point loss, really. I and mean, it is not competitive. And if you're a KU fan, we talked about it on last Sunday's episode, I believe. It is it is weird. And as I detailed in the uh, the takeaways, I mean, you are definitely tracking toward your worst seed since Bill Self got there. In fact, I went back and looked. Kansas has made every tournament the past 30 years and only twice. Trivia. Did you read it? Do you know the answer? Did you read the? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't even know the question yet. Trivia time. Okay. Okay. Two times in the past 30 years when Kansas has made the NCAA tournament, it's had a seed worse than number four. Only twice. What do you think the lowest seed in that span is? I feel like you said this on the last podcast. I didn't. I didn't because I looked it up this weekend. I didn't. Is it Five. It's worse. Well, well, I mean, I can I can keep guessing numbers yes, that are worse yeah, than five yeah. if You're you want me to. You're not giving up after one. <laughs> yes, guess uh, okay, again. Okay, uh, seven is worse than five. And seven is worse than five. That is not the answer. The answer is eight. So uh, I would have got there next. Probably you. You would have probably eventually. You would have eventually gotten there at some point. Um, Kansas was a number six in 1999, and then it was a number eight in 98, I believe it was. So it's the only two times since uh, 1990 that Kansas has been worse than a four, and right now I think KU at best is a five seed. So um, keep an eye on it going forward. I thought that was a, a notable game there. Cade Cunningham hit a winner for Oklahoma State. We still don't know for sure whether or not Oklahoma State's going to be able to be in the NCAA tournament, but if it does, this is the kind of thing where it gets it there. Arkansas needed that. Talk about teams with some weak resumes. Arkansas is 13-5, and five, can't put a freaking tarp on a bunch of chairs, and it's only like notable wins on the resume as a sweep of Auburn. That's not going to get it done. Eric Musselman's got some work to do there. Um, Let me stop you on this Kate Cunningham thing. Okay. You, ca- you called it a winner. Yeah. Are you anti the term game winner? I'm not anti the term game winner. We have had editors in the past saying that game winner is a redundant term and you should avoid it when necessary. But I'm kind of I can go both ways on it. By, this by, is one. This yeah. is one where I understand completely what the editor is talking about because he is technically right. I still think game winner you got is what you have to go with. If only because Kate Cunningham winner. What you can it works. Does, I think both work, but I know what you're saying. I didn't even know that I said it in the moment when I said it, but yes, yes. I think you got. I think it's got to be Kate Cunningham with the game winner. 
I don't know that it's redundant as much as it just hammers home exactly what was won here. Yeah, but what do you what what else could you possibly win? You know, a big stuffed animal. We know what he's winning. They're playing a game, so it's it's self explanatory. I get it. Listen, I'm not trying to argue the point as much as I'm just saying. I, I think I, it can kind of go both ways. I'm team. I'm team game winner, not not winner, not solo winner. All right, fair enough. Conversely, from Arkansas is St. John's, which look up and hello, it's eleven and seven. It got a win on Sunday at Marquette late and uh, almost gave it away, but um, they're not on the end yet. But that win is going to at least put them in a position as we turn the, the calendar to February to get a W there. So it was it was good on St. John's, a team that had an opportunity to be in that spot like St. John's, but failed on Sunday. SMU loses 70 to 48 at Houston. And maybe it's not even, you know, no shame on SMU. Houston's just that much better. Houston's becoming basically the Gonzaga of the American. And that's, uh, that is a, a criticism of the American because, oh, it could be a one bid league. And that's not a good thing there. SMU still has time. But that was it, the fact that it was not a 70 to 68 finish GP, it was a 70 to 48 finish. Um, not ideal. A couple more quick ones, and I'll lob it back to you. Uh, I do want to note that Belmont got to 18-1. and one. As we get into February, there will be a couple of interesting mid-majors that might have at-large cases. Belmont winning close against Murray State and close against Austin P. Those are uh, quality wins, quad two-level wins. Good job by them. 18-1, and one, keep an eye. And then Loyola Chicago, as we record this podcast, is 16th in Ken Palm. It's a three-loss team from a mid-major conference, and it's 16th. It's unbelievable. Won 72-46 at Missouri State. Drake was able to stay undefeated, as GP mentioned there, with a grit-your-teeth overtime home win to a bad Illinois State team. But 16-0 is 16-0. Both of those teams will play their opponents again in back-to-backs on Monday. So if Loyola can get another win against Missouri State and then Drake can remain undefeated and beat Illinois State again, then I think the case for the Valley is going to get real compelling in a hurry. Last one, Parrish. That's, you know, Michigan State not even being all that competitive against Ohio State. Not really a huge game of note other than I think it is notable the Spartans are about running out of chances here. They're going to either have to win the auto bid or they're going to have to pull around an in-season flip like UCLA a season ago, and I just don't see that happening. This is, you know, the most inefficient offense Tom Izzo has had in a long, long time, so there's really not a lot of indication that's going to happen. So I did want to squeeze that in as well because the Buckeyes are positioning themselves well, but to me the bigger story is Michigan State and, like, the severe hole of this because now it's got to turn around and play, at least it's scheduled to, you know, a pissed off Iowa team that lost at Illinois. It's got to go play Iowa on Tuesday. So Michigan State's doing itself. Not no just favors. Iowa, pissed off Iowa. It is pissed off. That Iowa Fran, is Fran off. was. Fran was after the game. I don't think they're going to do it. I, I think Michigan State's playing in something other than the NCAA tournament. If there is something other to play in, like I, I mean, at, yeah. at what point do you just? It is what it is. I mean, they're one and five in quadrant one, and one and one in quadrant two, two and six in the first two quadrants. That's not even bubble talk. It's Paris. There, it's 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 long. Like right now, Kentucky. I I wrote it uh, in the takeaways. Kentucky and Michigan State. They're done. Duke. Duke was able to keep. Like Duke just throttled Clemson. It's still got plenty of work to do. But since it was five and five, it got a couple of wins. Like it's still got hope. It's still got to get a lot more wins. But it's it doesn't appear to be going in the wrong direction like the other teams were. So it wasn't. No, you know, no. The, the the point I've been making about Duke is like Duke is down. Duke might not be good, but. Is Duke could still be a top three team in the ACC. 
You know, like yeah. there's yeah. that that is not Kentucky's reality. That's not Michigan State's reality. Like we know what Kentucky, Duke is disappointed. That's all we know about Duke is that Duke is disappointing relative to Duke standards. But Duke still might finish top three in the ACC, and that wouldn't be crazy based on everything that we know as of this moment. Uh, K- Kentucky is like we know what Kentucky is. They're not good. We know what Michigan State is at this point. They're not good. I mean, there's if you took the name Michigan State off of it, and I recognize we are talking about this not just because it's big brand Michigan State, but because they haven't missed the NCAA tournament since 1997. They have one of the longest streaks in college basketball. It, this is notable, but. My my point is, if you change that that name, Michigan State, to anything else, and I just said they're 62nd at Ken Palm by Monday, they'll be outside of the top 100 in the net. They're two and six in their past eight, two and six in their league, and two and six in the first two quadrants. Like, what are we even talking about? That's a team that's not sniffing the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, the only hope left for it here is that you're coached by a Hall of Famer. The roster is seemingly good enough, and you're in a league that's going to give you so many opportunities. But you gotta, you gotta get going now. So that was the, uh, that was a, that was a good, interesting weekend in hoops. Not an amazing one, but but good enough. And by the way, before we uh, transition, just a heads up, uh, real quick to what you you want to look for on Monday. As I mentioned before, Oklahoma at Texas Tech. That's the best game. Um, but Georgia Tech Louisville has some urgency to it. That's a two o'clock Eastern. Again, if these games get played as scheduled, they're on as we record this on Sunday night. Uh, Georgia Tech at Louisville is a two o'clock tip on ACC Network, and then Duke at Miami is a seven o'clock tip. Quick turnaround for Duke. This is one where it's the only road game in a five-game stretch. Miami's far from full strength. You got to get it done. And then there's the uh, the compelling Valley games with Loyola and Drake, seeing if they can uh, kind of keep pace there. Not long after we finished recording Friday's podcast, the news broke that John Chaney, the iconic Temple basketball coach, had died at the age of 89. He spent 24 years at Temple, seven NCAA tournament appearances, five Elite Eights. He actually won a Division II national championship before he became the head coach at Temple. He is in the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. He was the first African-American coach ever to win 700 games. Norlander, John retired um, at Temple in 2006. Did you have any relationship with him at all? Did you ever even meet him? Um, it's amazing you asked me that question, Parrish, because I was thinking about this on Friday and Saturday. I don't think that I did. Um, I, I, I never interviewed him. I actually thought a couple years ago about just, you know, would it be worth it just to kind of catch up with John Chaney? And then I didn't, and so now I have some regret about that. Um, there's a decent chance that Chaney was in the same arena I was in for a game, but I just I feel like I would absolutely remember if I had met and shook John Chaney's hand. I don't have that memory, so I don't think so. But since you just teed that up real quick here, and we can get it, I want to get into Chaney plenty. Um, so we're separated, uh, you know, by a few years, but we're within the same age range where as we grew to know college basketball, Temple was in the tournament every single year. So I went to middle school and high school in Vermont, and I loved Temple so much that I went with a high school friend of mine named Ian with his parents from Vermont, they took a drive down so he could take a tour 
of Temple looking around at colleges, and I was interested in Temple purely because I loved watching them play, and I loved John Chaney. John Chaney is one, you know, he hasn't come up much on the podcast over the years because he hasn't been coaching since we've been doing this podcast. He is easily one of my five favorite college basketball coaches of all time. Easily. Easily, easily, easily. And it always bummed me out that they never made a Final Four, they got close, that his run at Temple ended just kind of, you know... It just it, they were not the program in 2006 that he had rolling in the 80s and in the 90s there. I always wanted Temple to have one more really, really strong run. But, yeah, man, loved that coach. Loved that coach. Loved those teams. Loved the, the tie knot that would dangle, you know, below the open collar, uh, constantly rolling up his sleeves and just animated on the sidelines. Did not. I remember kind of learning about what it meant to be an ambitious scheduler, if you want to get in the NCAA tournament, what kind of resume you needed, and, and kind of understanding, okay, if you're in the A-10, that's different from in the Big East because of this and this. And one of the things is if you're an A-10 team, you got to be willing to schedule and play anyone at any time. And I think some of my earliest knowledge of of really how the bracket worked and how teams got in and seeded in at large was you got to schedule non-conference. And John Chaney was, I think, based off what I've learned and what other coaches have told me, he really was willing to schedule anybody anywhere at any time at a level that no current coach even can subscribe to. There are coaches that still will schedule on the non-conference with ambition, and we applaud them. But what John Chaney was doing in the 80s and 90s is not something that happens today. And it's even more impressive when you consider that he continually was able to recruit players that were not, listen, recruiting services then aren't what they are now. But even the players then that he brought into Temple weren't players that would necessarily be taken at other light schools or above schools. And he just, he rolled with it. He was, uh, he was you know, a legend. There's no doubt about it. Hall of Famer, 2001. I tweeted this out on Friday night. Dane O'Neill of The Athletic and uh, Tyler Tynes of The Ringer both have wonderful tributes to him. Um, I'll put our obituary that I wrote on Chaney in the pod description as well. Um, so I know I'm going a bit here, man, but I loved John Chaney. Love that dude. Watch, Love watching his teams. And it, uh, it's a sad day, Parrish. There's no doubt about it. He's the latest legendary coach to pass in a seventh-month period along with John Thompson Jr., Eddie Sutton, Lou Dolson, Billy Tubbs, Lou Henson, all of them gone, and uh, and the sport's obviously worse off because of it. He retired in March 2006. I got this job at CBS Sports in July 2006, so our paths never really crossed. Um, so I, I didn't get to know him. But it's interesting you you talk about you know being a a, a a teenager or even younger and recognizing temple as this big thing. You know, I can remember when we, we'd play basketball and, you know, the, the kids driveway down the street, you know, we'd be playing two on two. And for whatever reason you, you would, you'd say, okay, we're, we're going to be UNLV, you know, and somebody else would be like, Oh, we're going to be Memphis or somebody else would be like, Oh, we're going to be Kentucky. I can vividly remember one guy always wanting to be Temple, wanting to call himself Temple. Like, like we're good. Okay, we're Temple. Who are you again? We're Kentucky. Okay, cool. We're Temple. And it, it must blow a young person's mind because, you know, if we're telling the truth, Temple is a little off the national radar right now. You know, but in terms of programs that could register nationally while 
operating outside of the traditional power structure temple. I mean, in that time frame, it was UNLV and Temple, wasn't it? I mean, was there anything else? I'm outside of the structure. Um, I don't think there's. Yeah, sustained. I don't think so. I mean, yeah. no one else I'm, in the A10 in that era. No, I don't think so. I mean, like the, again, the, like the way the way Gonzaga is a national right. brand that everybody recognizes as. Ooh, that's a great basketball school outside of the power conferences. That's what Temple was recognized that way for a significant period of time under under John Cheney. Yes, correct. Now there were some. It's you know to anyone that's under the age of thirty listening to this pod, I don't even think I can I can really convey the level of expect like UMass was there as well for for a bit with 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 Calipari and like Charlotte the whole UMass to, thing went pretty quick it though. did it did and Charlotte used to be just a, a Charlotte and uh and Tulsa there were occasional programs that were just they were good for spurts 3 5 years but UNLV and Temple I mean Bomani Jones had a tweet about this which was just so dead on like when we came up to just like your your getting a knowledge about the sport. Like you just find yourself discovering loving college basketball and Temple's just, it's, you know, the, the watching TV then on, on college hoops was so different than it is now, but like you'd see them occasionally and then they're just always in the tournament. We didn't really realize just exactly what Cheney was doing. And by the way, doing it in the A-10 when that league was less than a decade old, Going up in in the 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 1980s are the most heralded decade. I think the 90s are the greatest for the sport, but whatever. The 80s are the most heralded decade, and he still was able to find success, have the number one rated team in the sport in that 87-88 season going into the tournament. That 88 team made the Elite Eight, got knocked off. You know who beat Temple in the Elite Eight that year, don't you? In 1988? Yeah. Come on, Duke! It was it was the Blue Devils. It was it was the Blue Devils. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. If it not for a young Mike Shashevsky who had not yet won a national championship, Temple could have made the uh, the Final Four that year. But it's yeah, it's uh, it's you, you're right. Temple, Fran Dunphy did a really good job at Temple, but he did not bring it to the level. And he would admit this. He's now the AD, by the way, uh, at uh, at TU. He did not get Temple to the level it consistently was under John Cheney. It's, uh, if anything, it's all the more impressive in retrospect, considering what he was able to do on a year-by-year-by-year basis. Temple made the NCAAs every single season from 84 to 2001, with the exception of one, the 89-89 season, five Elite Eights, and really Cheney is right. The way I defined Cheney when I went on HQ was... You know, so often, if a coach wants to finish their career and be remembered as one of the greats of their sport, the Final Four in men's and women's basketball is rightfully put on such a, in such it's put in such high regard on such a high pedestal that I've always thought it's a great thing. You don't have to win a national championship, which is hard enough to do in this tournament, but if you make a Final Four, it's a great way to get there and, and, and find recognition once or twice or three times if you can get there all the more. But if you don't get there, John Cheney is the example to me of how you can be highly influential, so significant to college basketball, to, frankly, a, a black basketball icon, doesn't make a Final Four, and it, he's not dinged for it. He could be regarded as the greatest coach to never get to a Final Four. That's fine if you want to put that. that. He had famously had a teary-eyed press conference uh, near the end of his career, when he, uh, you know, emoted about how badly he w- he wanted it for that city and for that school, 
But you don't need to get there in order to be a Hall of Famer. You don't need to get there to be a truly great coach. Cheney was that. And, yes, this was a uh, it was a sad weekend for the sport here, um, particularly to have lost Big John Thompson and Little John, as Big John referred to John Cheney, Little John within essentially, you know, five months' time is, uh, is, is certainly heartbreaking. This is one of the things that uh, college basketball has done well, that college football hasn't quite been able to do yet and that's make the final four an accomplishment worth celebrating regardless of what happens after you get to the final four like if you go to the final four like they hang banners for that but in college football you make the college football playoff like people mock notre dame <laughs> they're like ah oh, notre dame got their brains beat out again they suck and it's like they don't suck they just went to the final four again but in in basketball it's celebrated in football it's um it's we're now we've reached the point where we celebrate it like if you get there and you get your brains beat in we act like you should have never been there to begin with and it's not something that you celebrate back to john cheney is it sad or is it hilarious or is it both that he is probably despite being the first african-american uh, how about this so when he dies on friday you you know we're all getting asked to talk about it and and whatever so you go and you get the bullet points together right oh we 24 years at temple 17 ncaa tournaments five elite eights won a division two national title um was the first african-american to ever win 700 games like i don't know how many people even college basketball fans knew that stuff like how many people on friday morning knew john cheney was the first african-american to win 700 games i'm not sure they all knew he threatened to kill john calipari is it sad or hilarious that he is or both that he is probably, despite his incredible accomplishments, most famous for t trying to kill John Calipari. It's both, but I will say, you know, the news breaks. It's out of nowhere. Didn't expect it. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to write this obituary. Um, my children are just going, no, they're just being young boys, so it is whatever. So I'm, I'm just putting this together piecemeal as we're trying to, by the way, trying to confirm it. Um, like, you know, I had Phil Martelli told me that he was told that it happened, but it, it wasn't it wasn't enough for me to go on that alone. So I'm continuing to write. But as I wrote the obit, uh, I made a conscious decision to make sure that that wasn't in the top half, because while it is a memorable and incredible press conference moment, um, it should not be the thing that defines Cheney. And I feel like here in the in the ensuing 72 hours, it's obviously gotten played. It's gotten discussed. If anything, it's 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 been referenced in reverence to to John um, because there's important context behind it, which either you and I can kind of lay out here. Um, but and it was always going to be something that got mentioned in his obituary. But it feels like the 700 wins, the five elite eights, 17 tournaments, making Temple nationally relevant, uh, being frankly one of the most important black figures in the history of college basketball. That's gotten just as much run, you know, as as the uh, as the encounter. But the encounter itself, I don't ever see. Here's the deal: you may I don't remember this it happening in real time. I was too young, or I just I wasn't paying attention that week. I just this was not something that I I eventually came to know that it happened. But I can't tell you how old I was. I can guarantee you that I didn't. I don't. I have no memory of this happening in real time. Um, I remember it for sure. I was a junior in high school, and you do remember it. So okay. I, I, oh yes. Okay. So do you want to? You know, we can let's talk about well, this. But do you want to lay out actually the reason why it happened? Because the reason why it happened actually it speaks to Cheney's character. Um, he thought. John Calipari was trying to manipulate the officials. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, so what happens is UMass beats 
Temple in the closing seconds, okay? And uh, at this point, like, there's a real, there's a, like, there's a good rivalry in the A-10 between Cal and Shaney, UMass, and Temple. And as Cal's walking off the floor, as the story goes, you know, he has something to say to the officials despite winning. And it word gets back to Cheney um, that whatever Cal said, it was uh, it wasn't good. In fact, there was a I think it was Malcolm Moran at the time uh, had the story, the byline in the New York Times, basically you know threatening these officials like you're never going to come here and work these games again, et cetera, et cetera. And Ch- this Cheney had already had his presser, so he he has a, he talks with the media. We never see that video because Cheney probably had uh, you know a typically you know insightful but pr- probably a little bit downtrodden you know eight-minute media availability, and then went back to the locker room. So I don't, I still don't know how word gets back to him, but someone gets word to Cheney that says, hey, Cal, and remember, like, it's so, like, it's not the Calipari we know now in so many ways. This is John Calipari trying to establish himself in this cutthroat world of college basketball where he's proven almost nothing and is trying to turn UMass basketball into this top 10 program. Like, the dynamics then... It's it's almost mind blowing to think about where he is now, and in many ways, it's in it's in no surprise to me that Calipari is exactly where he is now in this profession. That's a ramble, but anyway. So Cheney goes into the press conference as Cal is talking, and as he as he walks in, and GP's got a transcription he's going to read here. He, his basic issue is Cal should be above this. There's nothing wrong with the officials that worked the game. He shouldn't be threatening them. He shouldn't be approaching them, period, after the game like that. It's not okay with him. And because of that, uh, Cal takes exception with it, and eventually they charge at each other, and you can take it from here. Well, first off, it's 35-year-old John Calipari, all right? 35-year-old John Calipari. So, (laughs) I mean, we've all seen the video a million times, but I just went to Wikipedia on Friday, just to see if they had a, 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 you know, see what they said about it on, on there. And the description, just reading it straight is hilarious. I'm just going to read it word for word. This is how Wikipedia describes the John Cheney, John Calipari incident. John Cheney entered the conference mid-speech calling John Calipari an Italian son of a bitch, accusing Calipari of manipulating the referees. When Calipari attempted to respond to the accusations, Cheney, Cheney yelled, shut up, Ooh-la-la! and proceeded to charge the stage before being stopped by security. While being held back, Cheney shouted, when I see you, I'm going to kick your ass. As security restrained Cheney, he repeatedly yelled, I'll kill you, and angrily admitted telling his players to knock your Kids in the mouth. <laughs> I, I was dying when I read that on Wikipedia. Like that's the description. That's what happened. And the thing, it's it's amazing. And when, and I'm not going to include the audio here. If you're listening, you've seen it. Like I, we don't need to drop it here again. You can go find it yourself. But um, the reason why it gets to that point is, like, if you go and watch the video, Cheney is in the back of the room. And I know that exact room. It still hasn't changed at the Mullen Center. He's in the back of the room, and he's he's talking passionately, but he's not, you know, he's not out of his skin. And then Calipari, he kind of goes from like a, you got to be kidding me with this kind of like eye roll kind of look, and and says, you know something, yada yada yada. And when he starts pointing at him, then it's 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 over for Cheney. When the second that Cal points at him, raises his voice, then Cheney makes the beeline toward him. And the one thing I've always wanted to know about that, 
you know, Dan Wetzel, national columnist with, with Yahoo, just does a wonderful job uh, covering sports. He was either in school or just out of school and working that beat. He's there, but he's not the one who breaks it up. I've always wanted to know who are like the one or two people because it's not like it's not like eight people separate him. There's just a couple people that get in there before and a few others kind of latch on and make sure Cheney is completely separated from Cal. But like, who were the people that really truly prevented? Like, it's a famous video parish. But if no one gets to Cheney in time and they actually have a truly physical altercation, like it, it it's legend grows two or threefold. And frankly, there's a there's a potential avenue where it becomes something a lot, lot worse, a lot worse than what it is. Um, I think both coaches are fortunate and we're fortunate in the aftermath that it that it stopped exactly where it stopped because it could have been pretty ugly. Oh, well, I mean, can you ever be the Kentucky coach if you're in a fist fight with John Cheney on national television? Like, I don't know. But I mean, probably if you, you know, keep stacking elite eights and final fours at Memphis and Kentucky needs to hire somebody to replace Billy Gillespie, then probably. But it would have it could have gone down much differently and much worse. And I will say, if you watch the video, I, I, I don't know what you would assume, but I would assume. I'm 35-year-old skinny John Calipari, and now John Cheney is is rushing toward me. I'd be like, all right, like let me figure out <laughs> how I'm going to get away from this. If you go back and watch the video, John's once Cheney starts going, John's ready to go. <laughs> like John does walk forward. Yeah, like go watch it again. Like John's John's ready to go, and I do think it's important to note that those two men became friendly and even friends. As the years went on, in fact, and I tweeted this on on Friday and it got a decent amount of attention. Um, so then, you know, that's 1994, 96 UMass goes to the final four. Then John Calipari bounces to the New Jersey Nets. That doesn't go so well. So then he comes back to take best job available in college. And given the timing, the best job available, according to John Calipari at that time, was the Memphis job. So he gets hired at at Memphis. And one of the things he wanted to do, he gets hired in, you know, March 2000. And one of the things he wants to do now that he's got to put together a non-league schedule for Memphis is he wanted his first game at the pyramid, which is now a Bass Pro Shop inside of a pyramid. He wanted his first game to be notable, worthy of national attention, worthy of national television. And so he picked up the phone and you know who he scheduled for the opener. John Calipari's first ever game at Memphis inside the pyramid. Uh, I'll give you a free trivia time if you want to. It's the Temple Owls, baby. It was John Cheney and the Temple Owls. And, you know, they had a, they had a lot of fun with that moment, um, you know, leading up to it. And, you know, I, I think Temple won the game. But that, that's how, um, I don't want to say close, like they were best friends, but that's how friendly they became after that incident when John Calipari wanted to open his first season at Memphis in a way that would really make people pay attention, he went and scheduled a game against the guy who had six years earlier called him an Italian son of a bitch and, and threatened to kill him. Uh, John Chaney, rest in peace. My last thought here, and then we can get to some reader reviews, is Tim Miles had a great idea that he tweeted out, and that was that coaches, if they are so willing and wanting uh, in the coming week or so, should just don a cardigan like Chaney did so often as a tribute. And then I suggested, listen, this is this is the season of comfort. There's no doubt about it. But if you if we had a couple coaches this week that 
put on a dress shirt, didn't button the top button or two, put on haphazardly, put on a tie, had the tie knot just dangling down there closer to the chest like Cheney used to. That would be just an absolutely awesome, awesome look because what's going to happen later this month we're still two and a half, three weeks out from it, is the NABC had all these towels made up with John Thompson Jr.'s face on them. And what you're going to see is, I wouldn't be shocked if it's every coach is going to wear the John Thompson towel, at least at the start of the game, over their shoulder. Mike Boynton's been wearing it for every game, but there's going to be a specific week dedicated to this. That's coming. In advance of that, if we had some impromptu sartorial salutes to John Chaney, um, that would be awesome. So I don't know if it'll happen or not, but if it did, uh, you know, coaches, if they do it and we see it, we might uh, work in a shout for you later on the pod this week. But John Chaney, 89, Philly legend, rest in peace. I'm ready to do it for CBS Sports HQ. I did it. I did it today. I did it. I, I rocked, Loose tie? I did. I, I rocked the open collar, tie dangling, and uh, I explained what I was doing So, because like, I was on with Chip Patterson. He had like a blazer on. No tie for Chip. Chip doesn't rock the, bl- the tie. So he always goes open collar. But I was like, I was specifically, I was just like a little, you know, I was just looking a little ragged, but it was intentional, and uh, it was my, it was my homage to John Chaney, so it was a cool little deal there. Very nice. You want to get to some Apple reviews? We're going to do some Apple reviews, and then once you got your reviews in, I got a wonderful user-submitted deal here that I'm going to share with you and the listeners that I think you'll like. Okay, I think we need 12 more reviews to get to 2,000. That's, that's what we're told uh, from the bosses above. So uh, anytime you can go first to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, but also leave a five-star review, write some nice words. That would be terrific because our bosses really care about that. We really care about what they care about. So um, if you want to help us, that's a great way to do it. I pulled out three uh, reviews from the past uh, week or so. And uh, the first one comes from JRCFB. You're not going to believe this, Norlander, but he bumped into you. Okay. Can't wait to hear about this one. Okay. He writes, uh, great podcast. This brings me happiness during the craziest pandemic of my lifetime. He said, one time I I got to meet Norlander and he made an amazing prediction that I wanted to congratulate him on. It was 2011, right after he had started at CBS. And I was in New York at Times Square and he was wearing a Dodos weren't extinct until 1902 shirt. He seemed to be speaking loudly. So I walked up to him and I said, hello. And he grabbed me and he said, don't believe the lies. The dodo will rise again. And I said, dude, they've been extinct for centuries. And he said, you just believe whatever they tell you, don't you? Then he pushed me away and he yelled, the worst pandemic of your lifetime is coming. They will do it. Don't forget I told you, don't forget. I thought about it often. But I thought he was just, at the time, high in Times Square. But I've been wanting to tell him that I now listen to all of his predictions, and I assume they are all right. Any other theories you like, Norlander, that I can bet on? I loved your show even more since you got this right. Do you have any more predictions? You you have predicted accurately the worst, dumbest pandemic of our lifetime. It's here now. You predicted this back in 2011, according to JRCFP. We're still waiting to see what happens with the dodos, but I'm not ruling anything out. You got any other big predictions? I saw it coming. That one's true. Yeah, that's the rare true one. Yeah, yeah. Like, actually, like, President Obama actually saw it coming. <laughs> if, you, if you want to get technical if you about actually, it. If you want to get technical, like, a lot of people in that field have been saying for a good while this has actually been coming. So, yes, unfortunately, this was something that was... Uh, that is the That's the worst part of this, is that there are... There are let's just keep it vague. Leaders in our country or former leaders in our country 
who were genuinely like couldn't have seen this coming and then there's like audio there's like video of Barack Obama like listen let me tell you what you got to really be prepared for it's like it's like they actually did see it coming us us idiots down here talking about college basketball three times a week we didn't see it we don't pay attention but like if you're <laughs> you you couldn't you couldn't saw it coming if you wanted to see it coming and either way Norlander saw it back in 2011 I did all right number 2 comes from Tim G uh, Tim G wrote, I've been listening to this podcast for a couple years as one of those fans that tune in after college football is over. That's fine. We accept those fans. I enjoy the banner back and forth from Parrish and Norlander. The college basketball insight is awesome. I tuned in just in time to hear Parrish discuss the last time Duke and North Carolina were not ranked, and his response was it occurred during the last sighting of the Dodo Bird. I shared that knowledge with my four- and five-year-old children, and for the past week, that's all they've been talking about is Dodo Bird. So not only does this podcast educate you on college college basketball it provides great insight into other worldly matters i'm now able to better educate my children on natural history topics thanks to parish in norlander how about that we're educating kids i mean i'm, I'm dropping just you know a not so rare turn of phrase three weeks ago and suddenly dodo bird awareness in this country has skyrocketed really has. skyrocketed here and i'm happy for it yeah like you know people didn't know enough about the dodo birds up until like earlier this month and now look at where we are we've got four and five-year-olds learning about the dodo birds and, and, and more important wanting to learn about the dodo birds that's the key to educating children can you get them interested in the material and if you, it takes a college basketball podcast to get them interested in the dodo bird material well then well then that's what it takes this one comes from nick um, Nick is, well, I'll just read it and he'll get to it. I'll let Nick explain. So shouts to Gary Parrish, shouts to Matt Norlander, and shouts to the best college basketball podcast you'll find. I don't recall how I was introduced to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, but I've been a listener since 2016 and haven't missed an episode. Plenty of podcasts claim to be the best for their genre, but few live up to that claim. The Ion College Basketball Podcast delivers on that billing with GP and Norlander providing the perfect combination of analysis, knowledge, and humor. Wow, isn't this nice? Nick continues, I serve as SID for Montana's men's basketball team, and this podcast gives me motivation while I'm going through the grind of game notes. Montana, sadly, just went on COVID-19 pause today and will miss its rivalry series with Montana State this week. Uh, Nick, of course, uh, left this uh, review on Wednesday. Um, he says this, this qu- then he hits us with a trivia time. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. This question is open to either Parrish or Nairlander, but since GP seems to read these comments more thoroughly, <laughs> it will likely be for, for Norlander. Question. With both Montana and South Alabama having their first games postponed this week, how many Division One basketball programs have gone the entire season without a single interruption? And he has the answer in the review? Yes. Wow. This is a fantastic trivia time. It really is. Um, but you know what? Shouts to the SIDs out there. So many of you are wonderful at your jobs, and we appreciate you. Schools big and small. Montana, by the way, fascinated. Missoula, got to get there at some point. Well, how about um, this? Here's the way Nick uh, wrapped his note. He said, thank you for providing me insight and entertainment several times a week. And to Norlander, in 2018, you picked Montana 
to upset Michigan in the NCAA tournament. The Grizz team account tweeted at you saying they wouldn't let you down. As you know, considering Michigan advanced to the national championship game that year, we definitely let you down. When you finally check Idaho off the bucket list, take a drive to Missoula and we'll we'll, we'll repay you with a Grizz game and burger from the Mo Club. That's uh, that's wonderful. Pescatarian, so I'm going to have to uh, Oh, God, else, shut up. Just yeah. eat the bar. Nick, no you think going to give you a burger in no Montana? Shot. Just Plus, eat the burger. I, yeah, I want to get out. I want to check out. I think there's some decent skiing up there in Montana, so I would definitely love to check that off the list. I'm going to guess... Okay, so there have been about 175, 180 teams that have had to go on COVID pause to this point this season. But all those teams that had to go on COVID pause obviously affected other teams at some point with their schedules. This is Correct. just the teams that have not had to have a single game adjusted. I'm uh, Two come from the same league. Ah, I shouldn't even said that. That's uh, all right. I'm, I mean, I'm going to guess the number is, I'm going to say 15 teams have not yet had one game uh, moved because of COVID. I assumed it would be lower than you thought, and it is much lower than you thought. Okay, so I said 15, it's lower. Are we really down to like six? Four. Wow. Only four teams have not had a game postponed or canceled or rescheduled or something. Only four. It's Auburn, <laughs> Mississippi State, Louisiana Tech, and Toledo. And didn't Auburn play that game earlier in the year? And we were like, should Auburn really be playing right now? You're right. Was that the Was that the Gonzaga game? It was. It was. Yes. So maybe Auburn should not be on the list. But, but it's Auburn, Mississippi State, Louisiana Tech, and Toledo. Two SEC teams. That's a great, great trivia time. Shouts. That's fantastic. Love that kind of stuff. And uh, only four. And they're not. Will they get to the end? I don't think so. I don't think we're going to get to the end with every single team. With with every, I think we will get to the end, and every single team will have lost at least one game to postponement or cancellation due to uh, the pandemic. There, so okay, good stuff there. Um, I got a little something for you here. See what you can remember uh, with all of this. Okay, so a user sent this in, and he is tracking. So at the end of this is like three weeks old. I just haven't had an opportunity to share it with you yet. He bracketed out his favorite moments from the podcast in the year 2020. Now, he's doing it again for this year with the intention of giving it to us basically the week of Christmas so that we can share it with our audience and kind of think back and remember. I'm going to name these off, and you're going to tell... Some of these I have no memory of, but maybe you'll remember it, but the listeners might as well, okay? Coach K intro, obviously that's a one seed. He loves that. Other one seed, Impossible Pinnacle Bank Arena. Feels like a three (laughs) seed to me, but whatever, it's good. Eight seeds, Purdue versus Kentucky in North Dakota. I have no idea what this is. Purdue versus Kentucky in North Dakota? No idea. Maybe like we were picking them like on a neutral floor. I don't know what was going on there. Eight seeds, shouts to mothers-in-law on Valentine's Day. No idea what's going on there. What did I do? Maybe my maybe my mother-in-law. I, I don't know. Okay. Maybe my mother-in-law was keeping the kids on a Valentine's Day or something. I, I, I do yeah. remember at one point making um, the statement this could have been on radio or on this podcast, but like, you know, uh, one of Rothstein's little things is like, you know, tougher than a weekend with your in-laws or something like that. And I'm like, why is that a thing that like your mother-in-law is the devil or your in-laws? Like, I, 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 like my mother-in-law maybe should hate me, that, but like, this is it. This but we, is it. yeah, but we get yes. along fine. Like this I don't, I don't mind a weekend at my mother-in-law's four or five matchups. We've got shouts to George Pappas, of course. And then uh, five, he's just got dead leg there. I do have yeah. a tweet from someone that came today. It's from Alan Frankel. Get this. Get this. 
He goes, hello, Norlander. I enjoy your podcast on college basketball that you do with Gary Parrish. I would like to respectfully suggest that Gary Parrish stop calling you dead leg. There are people who have not regained use of their legs like you have. Why torture them? That's his, that's his question, Parrish. You got a thought, thought, thought on this? <laughs> do, do I have a thought on that? Yeah, I have a lot, lot of thoughts on that. Okay. Onward probably, we go. Probably, probably none that I could say without okay. sounding rude. But I do, um, I do get the point. Like I, I, but, you know, on radio, I used to, when I would reference LeBron James, I would call him our king and savior. LeBron James and I got like a you know you got to remember where I live and I, I got a, I would get a bunch of like actual complaints from people saying you know that to, to call LeBron James our savior is an insult to you know people who, who are religious and I was like you know what I'm not gonna I'll, I'll just stop I'm not gonna I don't want I, it, it that really bothers a, 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 a not insignificant number of people then I'll stop but like I won't pretend to understand it like but but I'll stop. And I guess the dead leg might go under the same I mean it listen it, it, it's, it's smack talk from you know a pirate ship in the mid 1800s. So if you want to keep it going it's fine but yeah you know it's it's I do. Up. I think you're going to have to continue to be dead leg right. but my condolences to everybody who actually has dead legs I okay. guess I don't know. <laughs> Dragging a deer who could forget it's a four seed. How about a five seed here? Dark horse Gary in the dark. See, the thing is, every single podcast I do, like right now I'm talking to Parrish, he's just sitting in the dark. Like I do my radio show in the dark, so much so that the the, the cleaning people who are they, they they walk in my studio, you'd think by now they'd know he's in there till six, but they'll walk in my studio like once every two weeks because they see the lights off. They assume nobody's in there. But I'm in there just doing a whole radio show, com- complete darkness. Yeah, I, I you might need a nickname based on your. Uh, I I I never turn a overhead light on in any room that I'm in, ever. Even my bathroom, I have a lamp on my bathroom counter. I am pro lamp, anti uh, uh, traditional light structure. It's psycho stuff there. Um, number three seed, biting your wife. Number six. <laughs> I remember number, that. Yeah, you're a biter. Norlander's a biter. Can't is, work his legs, but he can work at teeth. Number six seed is Clark Kellogg to set the mood, which is a great one. Great one. Um, disrespectful lines. It's disrespectful. It is Usually goes GP's opposite way. I don't remember this at all. Seven seed. Suck my banners. What? <laughs> suck my banners. That must be something... I don't remember. Maybe I it was. I don't know. I don't know. See, and I know the listeners are going to remember this. I just don't remember that one. I, I feel like I remember many. I, I remember. I remember saying that, or or I remember that. I don't remember what it was about. How about this one? I want to say Tom Crean in Indiana, but I don't know. How about stay on the court, which is great, but Nelkin stays better. And then the seventh seed is Chip Gaines watching Fresno basketball. I don't. I remember talking about Chip Gaines, but I don't remember Fresno basketball. What? No idea. That's that's me. That's that's me. And Fresno State is me and Brent Stover's go to, because we're always be like, if you think I watch a lot of TV shows, Stover watches every TV show. Like he is single, and childless. So he's got only he's either he's either on TV or watching TV, and so like we'll be watching uh, Euphoria, and there's this cute young woman in it named Sydney Sweeney. And, and and we'll we'll be like, uh, man, wouldn't it be something if like, could we'll be like in studio, <laughs> you know, on a Tuesday night, and it's uh it's a Fresno State 
San Diego State game and be like, do you think Sydney Sweeney's a Fresno State fan? Like, do you think she's watching us right now? I was like, I think she might. She, she seems like maybe more of a New Mexico fan. We tie, we, we tie actresses in television shows. We make them Mountain West fans, and we pretend they're watching us in that in that in that 11 p.m. tip on on CBS Sports Network. It's like the adult version of I'm going to be Temple in this basketball game. <laughs> yes, it's exactly right. We take we take any any um, of our favorite actresses from our favorite television shows and we imagine that they're Mountain West basketball fans watching us do halftime at, at midnight on a Tuesday night. I got a couple more fun <laughs> matchups here. Undefeated San Diego State's a one seed. Two-year-old Tony Hinkle's a one seed. I think those are both legitimate. He's got Kansas doesn't lose until the end of the world as an eight seed. No doubt about it. Parrish did predict that. That's not exactly working out for him. How about this one? How about he's got Quincy Dubé Pavilion as a four seed. I appreciate that. Sexual attraction to Ohio State's offense. We actually had a reporter. Shouts to Adam Jardy who brought this up to Chris Holtman in a press conference. Not, not in those explicit terms. Can you imagine Chris Holtman having to answer what he thinks of Gary Parrish saying he's sexually attracted to the Buckeyes' offense. Oh my gosh. Uh, he's got that going up against a, just a week five seed, and that's Paris collecting toothbrushes, which is true. He just got, he, you've got like 77 of them. So it's, I keep two on my desk. I keep another one in my car. I have toothbrushes everywhere because you never know when you're going to get something st- stuck in your teeth. Do you ever have something stuck in your teeth and you can't get it out? Do, have you ever had that? Yeah, it's brutal. It, that's why I keep toothbrushes everywhere. I, I anticipate this happening, and I'm I am always prepared to handle it immediately. How about this one, five? Seven? I keep a toothbrush in my golf bag because at the turn I might get something to eat, and then if I get food stuff, I don't want it to bother me the entire back nine. So I will have I have a toothbrush in my golf bag right now, just in case I need to use it just for a second. You got that in a Ziploc baggie? Just out of curiosity. Or is it no, just, it's just with my teeth. Oh, it's with just my teeth. Absolutely horrendous. Okay, <laughs> just, just down there with the teeth. Awful. Um, he's got Def Leppard and the Metro on tour as a five seed. I have no idea what that is. Uh, the, the Def Leppard and the Metro on tour. Maybe maybe Def Rich- Leppard was big same time the Metro Conference yeah, was big. Is like that, that the connection? Crutcher Tilly Brothers three seed. <laughs> I love that Jalen Crutcher. So good going up Jaylen against Crutcher trading your career. Trading your career for Scott Drews as a six. I do remember that conversation. We'd ask if you would trade your career for Scott Drews. Yes, of course. Uh, the, the actual question is, would I trade my Kelly for Scott Drews Kelly? Okay. <laughs> I think I have to say no. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm obligated I'm much, to say I'm no. I'm pretty sure you're obligated to say no to that. A uh, couple more. A10 Media Days Master Ceremonies. I am. Uh, going up against HGTV Trivia Time, which we did, I'm pretty sure, right before I left for the Baylor-Kansas game a year ago. I do remember that one. And then final two matchups. A couple of two versus sevens. Two seed. You got to put 68 teams in the tournament. A lot of people don't realize this. People don't talk about that enough. They don't. Now, that's up against a seven seed. The jalapeno I bet, which is one of your lower moments ever. The true story. I did that. He, he I put a jalapeno he, in my eye yeah, for five dollars, and that was just idiotic. And then he's got the seventh seed is reminding Gary of the final four and one standings, just because it's something that I always have to do. And then the two seed though is F. Mary Kill, Ed Cooley, Mick Cronin, and John Wooden. I don't <laughs> remember do that. <laughs> I do remember we went through a thing where we were playing uh, F. Mary Kill, and, and we were throwing. I do remember that. We should do that every. Every episode, do a F. Mary kill 
with three college coaches. My apolo- the, the listener who sent this in, he direct messaged me this right around New Year's. I don't have his name pulled up anymore. It was on a dock and it's gone. Shouts to you, sir, and we will absolutely that's, that's give disrespe- you. That's that is. I'm being straight up disrespectful right now, not properly attributing this. That was 2020 podcast highlights here. So um, past couple of Sundays, we've just been booked up with some other stuff and didn't have time. I wanted to make sure I got it in at the buzzer of January here. There was just, there's a lot of good stuff in there, and I eagerly await to see what just comes out of this podcast in the year 2021, and he's going to track this and send it to me at the end of the year, and we can uh, make it part of our our year-end episode. So, uh, all right, well, all right, all right. We're ready to get out of here. I yeah. told my wife we'd be done with work early tonight. I'm going to end up having to move in with Scott and Kelly Drew. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, we can, that's, we can that's where this is headed. Yeah, we're, we're done. We're <laughs> that's where this is headed. Is it, I'd be hosting the Ion College Basketball Podcast from Waco. We're done. Shout him out. Let's go. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry and Meffin Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle. Just the, the I, I, dumbest. Keep moving. You got Dr. Pepper it's, in your hand. Let's go. It's the worst pandemic. We got it. Let's go. Come on. Diet, doc, diet Dr. Pepper. Fair enough. I don't want I don't want people out there thinking I'm just doing empty calories while we're recording a podcast. This is zero calorie diet, Dr. Pepper. Okay. What a pandemic, man. What a pan what a pandemic. Woo! Didn't see this one coming. I, I mean should have. Brock did. I told if Brock you. Brock did, I could have, but this is something else, man. Thank you guys for listening. If you haven't subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. If you got time, leave a review. Maybe we'll read it next Sunday. And either way, we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care. bright shining light Sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 U2 they represent a personification of our resistance the Hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva Sarajevo kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply